Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Welcome to Face to Face. This is a show about change and what's next. It's a show that asks questions and peels back the layers of our average everyday experience and goes beyond scratching the surface. We interview people doing incredible things who are making a difference around the globe. Join me as we listen in and get one step closer to understanding that big ideas shared create collaboration. Collaboration can inspire community, and communities create social change. I'm David Peck, and this is Face to Face. So my next guest is Martin Himmel. He is a war correspondent, he's a journalist, he's a documentarian and a filmmaker. He is a very interesting guy, and we are talking today about his new film, Secrets of Survival, which is going to be airing on the Documentary Channel in the very near future on CBC. Check it out online. You can find him online, Martin Himmel, martin-himmel.com, and check out the uh, film and the blurb on it and the trailer, uh, Secrets of Survival, on CBC site. Martin and I, uh, he was calling in, or I was calling him uh, in, in Tel Aviv, and we had a great line and, and, and a real opportunity to talk about a whole lot of things. We talk about family, and we talk about isolation and identity, and we talk about loneliness, and we talk about um, being included and, and, and this sense of... Um, the past and, and coming to terms with, you know, I guess you could say the family secrets that we all uh, have. And so uh, I think you're going to really uh, enjoy the conversation. There's a lot going on here. And uh, how's this for uh, investigative journalism for a quote? Investigative journalism is an obsessive compulsive disorder, says Martin. That's got to draw you in. So stay tuned. Don't forget davidpecklive.com for more uh, of my podcasts and my writing and and speaking you can find out about it there you can also support face to face through patreon.com and rabble.ca for more interviews and uh coming right up martin himmel uh, talking about his new film secrets of survival well welcome to face to face we're joined by a very special guest here today all the way from tel aviv martin himmel is here today he's a, a director he's a producer he's a he's a correspondent he's a journalist uh, martin thank you so much uh, thanks for your time today my pleasure. Thank you. So, uh, I, based on my research I've done of you, Martin, we 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 could talk about a whole lot of things. You've had you've had quite a history, and I'm 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 hoping that you're going to tell us a little bit about that. But we're here to talk particularly about a film, a world premiere coming up on April 9th on the Documentary Channel with uh, CBC here in Canada called Secrets of Survival. Um, it 
it's uh, as you as you just mentioned before we hit record. You don't want to give t- t- too much of it away, so we're, we're going to have to be careful here. You're going to have to dial me back a little bit. But can, what what can you tell us about the film? Well, the film basically focuses on uh, two people who you would call uh, second generation. Uh, well, in one case, a Holocaust second generation uh, survivor. Uh, a Toronto woman named Malka Rosenbaum, who at uh, a young adult age discovered uh, from her parents who did survive the Holocaust uh, that uh, she was not the only child that she thought she was throughout her life. Being an only child was uh, an experience for her. It was a difficult but also, you know, a rewarding experience, but also a difficult experience because she felt somewhat isolated. And then lo and behold, in her 20s, she's told, well, you weren't an only child. There was once a sister, Esther, and uh, who, according to her parents, had uh, died in the Holocaust. Uh, finding that out was a major plot point in her life. It refocused everything. Uh, you know, as she puts it with her mother. Well, if you, now you're telling me there was a sister, what more? are you not telling me? And that's a very important point. You know, what else is there? Right. I mean, in some senses, she feels like she has been deceived or uh, uh, that they weren't honest with her, that there's many things that are secrets here that she doesn't know. It opened the Pandora box, basically. And um, what uh, basically, that's the way it was for many, many decades um, until uh, not long ago, um, uh, not a doubt came into the fact how how is she sure that this sister is indeed dead? There are scores and scores of people in Poland who were raised as non-Jews, thousands upon thousands of them, and discovered that they were Jews and that uh, and that uh, they came from Jewish families. Uh, often, when their adopted parents, who also kept secrets, uh, told them on their deathbeds that you had a Jewish family. Mm-hmm. So it, 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 she had at that time uh, Malka had an aunt in Israel who was ninety five, ninety six years old, who basically said, "Look, your your parents were in hiding." Although she knew that, but your parents were in hiding during the war, and your mother gave birth, and the baby had to go. The baby has to go because the people that are hiding the Jews, if they were caught, and often it was families that were hiding Jews. Everyone in the family would be immediately executed, mother, father, children, etc. No questions asked, immediately taken out and shot, along with the Jews. So it's a high-stakes issue to hide sure, someone. Yeah. So if a baby is born there, a baby, is, uh, a baby can scream and squeal and give away everybody. So the baby was out within a day, and uh, they thought it went to some woman who could breastfeed somewhere out there in the world. And then the word got back to them at some stage this baby had died, but they had no confirmation. And this Aunt Franya told Malka, well, you know, it is possible that the other child that this woman was breastfeeding might have died, and your sister might survive. No one knows. And we go on a journey basically to find out if Malka's sister is alive or not and what really happened. And in the course of the film, we answer this completely and clearly, and it does change Malka's life. Um, and uh, that's the search on that part of the story. 
Then we go across, if you want to call it enemy lines. Right. Into <laughs> that a was, completely that, different. Hmm? That was going to be a question for sure. How how intentional was that decision going across enemy uh, lines? Actually, it was it was not intentional. I must tell you, it only came when we were looking with a lot of people to see what story we can came mm. to, and we didn't know which story is going to develop. But once it did develop, it is across enemy lines. It was really something ipso facto, not something that I planned out. Much of what happens here is not planning. It's reacting. Right. Um, and so there are different people we were searching to see what stories we can get. And then we see certain stories went and certain stories did not. And this story did go. And that's, that story is uh, Jürgen Ullot, uh, who was born in post-war Germany uh, to a German family uh, outside of Frankfurt. And like many German families, his mother, uh, uh, um, his mother uh, was a uh, was 16 years old, 17 years old, had lost her father, who was a German naval uh, soldier, inducted at 44, who was an accountant, into the war and disappeared. And uh, her grandfather, she came from a well-to-do family in Cologne, had committed suicide after Allied bombing had blown apart the uh, chocolate factory that he had and lost everything. Uh, and... Um, she lived with her mother and her sister in, in a, a town that was blasted pretty good as well. Uh, and lo and behold, uh, you know, uh, married a German war veteran. And this German war veteran is an interesting story, too, because he came along in 1952, Eric Ulot, and he told um, uh, Gertrude, Jürgen's mother, that, um, that uh, he actually was with Gertrude's father in a prison of war camp in Russia for many, many years, and that Gertrude's father had actually escaped and disappeared. He was probably killed. And he came back to tell Gertrude and the family what happened to the father, because mm -hmm. he spent six mm -hmm. years in that camp, and in the process fell in love with her. And Jürgen, for many, many years, into his early adulthood, felt that that's how his mother and father met. Eric met Gertrude. Eric was the war vet, and Gertrude, the mother, and... That was life, and then they had a brother, and that was life, until he decided to get married. And when he went to get married in Germany, you have to go to the registry office there and produce birth certificates, etc., in Frankfurt. And much to his absolute shock and surprise, the registry clerk said, look, your name is not uh, Jürgen Ulot, your name is Jürgen Reinhold. It's not Ulot. Reinhold was his mother, Gertrude's maiden name, Gertrude Reinhold. And then it became extremely clear that Eric, his father, the German war veteran, was not his father. So this was a completely massive shock for him, a very deep shock. I couldn't, I couldn't help but think, you know, Martin, as I was watching the stories unfold and so on, you know, would I, and I, and I mean, I think this is what a, what a great documentary does and the storytelling and so on, but would, would I be reacting the same way? Would I be so upset about this? Would I be so concerned? Would you? Yeah, I, I, I think so. I think I would. I, I you, would. Yeah, like you, it's kind of like I'm not who I thought I was, right? And I think exactly. your com your comment earlier, and I think it's a really good one, is you know if if this is the secret you've been holding from me, what else is there that you haven't been telling me along the way? And that's that's a doozy as far as I mean. I think it's Jurgen at one point he refers to the, the the complexity of you know what what happened with his mom and with with you know these two men basically. And he, I think the quote was they they destroyed big love. And it really kind yeah, of, yeah. you know, it was a beautiful line, and, and it really struck me that, that that's kind of, for me, what, what, what's at the heart 
of this story in a way, you know, the, the, uh, it, it clearly, it's about investigative journalism. It's about finding the answers. It's about getting to the, to, to the, to, you know, to, to, to the truth. But for me, it was about, it's about love. It's about memories. It's about family in the past and, and helping others and how, man, how we're also incredibly interconnected, you know, it's just, astou- right. it's astounding, Martin. Yeah, it is, it is, it, it is, you know, it's looking in hindsight, it, it is all of that. As you go through the search, it's like one revelation after another. Right, right, nice. And, and, and with Jürgen, so he marches to his mother and to his absolute, you know, it's a tremendous sense of betrayal he feels, a real utter to the core sense of betrayal. And he comes to his mother, so well, this Eric Ulad has been raising me all his life, this German war vet who came into the house and from prison camp and, and uh, married you is not my father. Who's my father? And the answer is doubly shocking. Well, it's not a German war vet. It was an American war vet. Uh, who, it, the way she put it, basically, it was like basically a one-night stand. Troops are passing through. It's a crazy time. It's war. Everybody is, dis, is, is disoriented and uprooted, and things happen. And when he asks, what, well, where, where is he? And she says, I don't know. I have no idea. That was the answer for about fifty years, fifty yeah. long years. Wow! Yeah. And 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 uh, and it only changed after his very 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 old grandmother passed away, and he, he finds this shoebox with uh, uh, pictures of this American soldier and his mother over a period of time as a family with him there raising him, and that this then that's the Second massive shock. Well, it wasn't a, a, a one night stand. This went on for several years, and and uh, and uh, then he discovers all these amazing love letters that he sent in that box that he sent to Gertrude, saying, you know, to come to the United States because he was sent back and all that, and bring the boy who he loved very much. And uh, another shock, and the third shock being that Gertrude never got the letters. The mom intercepted the letters, and amazingly, instead of just destroying it, you're going to intercept the letter, actually kept them. And this sets Jürgen off on an incredible search to try to find his father, where he lived, who he was, and uh, and and we follow him on and, that incredible search, which does profoundly change his life. And it takes it takes years, really. For I mean, you guys follow yes. him for a couple, I guess, but it's it's been years. I mean, his his line too was, you know, and I and I wonder to what degree, you know, in a sense, we all are in a way waiting, you know. But he says, "I'm still waiting for some answers," you know, and that that his his commitment to this, you know, to 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 find out what to to put, put I guess, put a period on it, right? Find the resolve, come come to some sort of. Um, conclusion that says I, I'm now okay with this at least you know well you want to know you want to know something I think all of us in whatever searches we take we all want to put that final period but after all we never really do put a final period right and I think but I think in Jurgen's search and in Malka's search they uh, get a lot closer to it they get a lot lot closer and what I think we can say without giving away too much of the story is that I think that uh, they, while they harbor some very deep mixed feelings about why their parents kept the secret so long, both Malka and Jürgen, 
I think they go a long way. I would, if I was to put it in percentage terms, I'd say 85 to 90 percent of at least understanding why they did it. Right. Maybe they wouldn't right. agree with all of it, but why they did it, which is a, a big, big deal because both of them have bonded with me in some way because they both felt a tremendous sense of, of closure, at least. It's not a final period, but, uh, but, uh, but a closure in a sense. Martin, and, after spending and, so many years, you know, as a correspondent, as a, as a documentarian and a journalist and, and digging into some pretty complicated, difficult stories, I mean, is it, is it, hmm, would you say we are so much more, um, hmm, we're, I, I mean, you know, I don't want to go too corny or too idealistic, but, you know, we're kind of all in this together. I mean, I was so struck by how, as the story unfolds, people reaching out. Some people didn't want to talk to you guys at all, and, and I think I get that on one hand. I don't want to go back to my past. I don't want to go back to those memories. But the overarching sense for me was there was this group of people who actually, you know, really cared and who, who, who really wanted to make a difference in people's lives. And, you know, way back to, to World War II and, and, and kind of all the way through up to present day. Would, would you say that that's kind of the world we live in? Or, or would or, you know, are you a hopeful cynic? <laughs> there's, there's a couple questions in there. <laughs> well, well, put it this way. I think that uh, by using the story as a receptacle, I've covered a, a lot of conflict in my mm-hmm. career as a journalist. Mm-hmm. I've, I've covered uh, wars in, uh, in the West Bank, in Israel, in Gaza, in Iraq, in Lebanon, and in the Balkans. I've seen an awful lot of conflict and a lot of brutality. Yeah, uh, but, but in amid all that brutality, there are definitely many sparkles of incredible kindness, caring, and people taking enormous risks to help people. Mm. Mm. Uh, there is a pervasive sense of humanity among all that brutality uh, that's somewhere intrinsic among us. And it comes in the most simplest, uh, I mean, it comes in the most uh, unexpected forms, whether it's somebody taking a risk and helping someone or shielding someone or just caring for a person who lost something. And, uh, and I think that uh, that's the bright spot in a lot of the brutality that we see. I mean, you know, uh, Jorgen and Malta could not come from more diametrically opposite yes. Uh, sides on a very brutal war, probably one of the most brutal we've ever seen, if not the most brutal. Yet when they go through their searches, we see they're basically human beings, and yes, we see yeah, that they yeah. they actually react in many similar ways. And 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 fundamentally, that's what we are. Sure, there's a sea of brutality, but there are lots of nice uh, kernels of, of kindness all the way through. Watching a film like this, watching these stories kind of come together and interconnect in their own kind of unique and interesting ways, it has to, I think as a viewer, you have to ask, you know, how would I behave in that situation, first of all? But but how, you know, how, I'm a, I'm a parent, I've got a nine and nine and 11 year old, am I, what, what am I holding back? Right? What is it? You know, I know. I know in my own life, um, with with my family, there's we think there's all kinds of secrets that, that we we still have we still haven't been told, and probably will in a sense never be told. And 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 you know, the more I even since seeing the film, I've I've reflected on that. I wonder to what degree that has. Hmm, I don't know. Chiseled away at my own identity. My identity is different than it would be. I guess had I been told those stories. Does that make sense? Yeah, well, I think all of us as parents, um, you know, you have young children, so uh, all of us as parents want to protect our children. We want to shield them from what we know as adults as a very complicated, 
not good and bad world, but a multicolored world full of all sorts of moral dilemmas and tough choices that we make that can be judged in different ways, and maybe good choices or bad. We've all made good and bad choices, all of us as human beings. And as parents, we want to show a more reasonable world, a kinder world, uh, uh, so that our children can grow up and learn for themselves their own complexities. Mm. So of course, we, sh- we shield all sorts of secrets and, uh, and dilemmas that we have as adults because our children don't have the defenses or we naturally want to protect them. I think we can all agree on that, but now magnify that 10,000 times. I mean, if you, if, let's, you have small children. Now imagine... You, you and your wife are in hiding, and if you're mm-hmm. exposed, you'll be killed. Yep. And your wife gives birth to a child, your first child, and you know that that child's got to be out of wherever you are in one, in one day, or both of you and a lot of other people are going to die. You're making a, a very tough choice because you know you're threatening the life of that child, a one-day-old child in the middle of the winter. You're threatening that life of that child. And everything in your, in your instinct is telling you you have to protect that child. And, and, and yet uh, you have to protect the people that are here. And you made that child. So you can imagine the deep moral dilemma mm. and the trauma of the decision you made that I'm sure will go for the rest of your life. And then you take and you then hide that from the next child that you have as, to make as, sure they don't go through that. With, 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 the, with the, the work that you've done as a war correspondent and, the, like you say, the, the difficult uh, situations that you'd be in, do, do you think historically we need to look back and, and maybe, um, I don't know, cut, cut, cut some folks some slack? Um, you know, you're in the middle, it's all about, it's all really about freedom, choice, and responsibility, it seems to me. But like you said, when you're in the middle of a situation like that, what then? You know, what, what are the decisions you're going to make? And so it's easy to look I back think, and go, oh, I'd behave this way, right? But, but uh, yeah, you must, you must have something to say about that. Yeah, well, I think um, there are levels where that comes into play. There, there are different levels. For example, I'll say when I was a, a war court, I can't even say this is a break. It's not a break. It's just a quirk of uh, events. When I was very young and I was working as a, a field producer um, in, and um, I was in the Middle East and I was working with a veteran television correspondent by the name of Clark Todd who was uh, CTV's London correspondent and was in Lebanon. In those days it, you worked on tapes and those tapes had to get somewhere to be satellited. It's not internet, it's not that, that type of thing. It was a long right. time ago and, and I was responsible. I was told you stay put at this base and you get the tapes and then you put it in satellite out, where, of course, I'm young and dumb and everything else. And, no, I want to be in the front lines where this correspondent is and working out there. But I did my job. And then one day the tapes stopped coming, and I didn't know what was going on. And then I get a call from the president and vice president of CTV News at the time and saying that Clark Todd has disappeared mm. and that he's probably been wounded in Lebanon. And and we have to find him. And you know something about there, so we all have to go and find him. And for the next several days... All three of us, uh, more than several days, about a week, went through amazingly harrowing experience of, of uh, searching uh, uh, field hospitals, bodies, battlefields, getting bombed at, shot at, etc., to try to get to where this guy was. And it took uh, about a week or so, and then it, it, we found him not living, and uh, we knew that there was a crew with him. And it led to a very serious dilemma, you know, 
why did the crew go and he's there? And, right. and, 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 but you know, immediately then, and especially now, there's no way I could say I would do any different today because I was not there. I could never, ever answer that question. They can never answer the question, maybe too, because things are made in split-second decisions. You can't answer that. You can't judge it. You can't possibly put yourself into that situation because every human being will react differently, and there's no right or wrong in that situation. So, so how, that thing is this, this man lost his life. Yeah. And, and, uh, well, and it's talk talk about relevant in just in the last, what is it, two two days ago, the two bodies of the UN researchers found found in the DR, in DR Congo. Um, yeah. I, I don't know if you're familiar with it or not, but it's just been been all over the news in the last couple of days. And you gotta, you gotta. I mean, I've got so many questions for you, uh, you know, based on that. But you know, what what drives you to do the work that you do in the first place? But is um, and and I want to come back to that in a second if we can. But I wonder, is there a way, Martin, to prepare for that kind of thing? You know, how how do only, you you know how do you only, you get thrown into a war like yeah. situation? How how pray tell. <laughs> do, do you do you come to that with any kind of wisdom, you know, to begin with? Every human being reacts differently yep. to uh, stressful situations of all sorts. It doesn't have to be a war. It could be a car accident. It could be, a, it could be just a crisis, uh, an emotional crisis. It could be a lot. Every human being reacts differently. If anything this has told me is you can get the toughest person or the weakest person. Uh, somebody you think will crack immediately and somebody that wouldn't. And... You have no idea how a person reacts in any given situation. It's just, it's unpredictable. The only thing you can predict, prepare for, is uh, by gaining experience in a controlled manner in those situations with those limited responsibility and to uh, acquire some basic medical knowledge that if somebody, God forbid, does get hurt, you know how to at least deal with the very basics. That's about all that you can do, and the rest is just sheer experience. And, uh, for me, that experience, I was only 26 years old, taught me an extremely important lesson that many journalists uh, unfortunately fall victim to. And as we have an illusion of vulnerability, we think when we're in a conflict mm. zone because we are not a fighter, we're not a combatant, we're not holding weapons, that we have an illusion of vulnerability as if all the sides are going to respect that, which is a total illusion. Right. And that's how many, many correspondents and, and others get killed, hurt, etc., because there is no illusion of, of vulnerability. There is no... Uh, uh, such respect. It's it's basically you have to be extremely careful in how you do things. And I learned very very fast at the beginning of my career that things can go terribly wrong. And that that's a healthy respect of fear that that keeps you going in the right direction. So if you weren't but, a, uh, if you weren't a war correspondent, if you weren't a journalist in the sense in, in the way that you have been, as you look back on your career, do you think you would have been a uh, I don't know a, a detective, <laughs> a, a, I, a mystery I, uh, a mystery novelist? I have absolutely no idea. <laughs> you know, it's again one of those life doesn't just you know life works in a certain yeah. way. I don't. I I didn't plan a lot of this. You know. Yeah, it's no, just, it's true, eh? It's so interesting how things play out. But but there must be something about getting to the kernel, getting to the truth, getting to the bottom of it that is so that that that, that that's the fire in your belly, if you will. Well, the, the, the investigative journalism uh, is a compulsion. It's mm. a form of an, a compulsion, and an, it's sort of like an obsessive compulsive disorder. <laughs> <laughs> you, you 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 have to be obsessed with something, but not to the point of a an emotional disturbance, or you'll never right. get anywhere. Right, right. But you've got to be a bit obsessive compulsive to uh, to have the drive and the 
force to, right. to actually keep going to get to whatever it is you're going. Because a lot of this doesn't involve just working. It involves, uh, like, you've got to be thinking about it a lot and mm. constantly going over it and then seeing this opportunity and driving for it. And, and so without that, you're not... Uh, you can't really do it because uh, it's just a little bit too crazy. Is it, is it, is it the truth that drives you? I wouldn't put it like, um, I wouldn't, you know, I don't believe in absolute truth. Okay. I, I don't believe there is one real truth. I think there's relative truth. But I think it's uh, it's to get to the bottom of whatever you're going for. Like I, when I started with, let's stick with this film. Yeah, sure, I wanted, absolutely. I, I which, really, by the way, is airing on April the ninth for our listeners uh, on the documentary channel at nine p.m. Eastern. Nine p.m. Eastern, and I think it's going to be a repeated uh, a couple of weeks later. And I'm I'm going to get to the bottom of that too before before our interview ends. I believe it's on the twenty sixth. There you go. You've already done it. Yeah. Thanks. Sure. Uh, basically, when I understood, I spent a lot of time, uh, people, when they tell their stories, are very emotional about it, yep. and they're very disoriented, and they tell things in mumbo-jumbo, they leave out a tremendous amount of facts, and what they leave out is sometimes extremely interesting, <laughs> right. and, and then you discover it afterwards, and it's not done consciously, it's all done unconsciously. Uh, so with Malka, I spent a lot of time trying to understand the story, and uh, and uh, to really understand what 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 was going on and who knew what and there was many many facts that didn't make any sense and, uh, uh, but I when I did get to the kernel that that there's a sister out there that maybe is alive and maybe not and there's a whole story behind this sister I had to absolutely know what mm. happened to the sister I had to abs- and and full, knowing full well the odds are really stacked against. There are too many people who have died, and too many, uh, you know, too many survivors have died, too many witnesses have died, too many other people have gone, and I just, you know, I, I, I said, okay, well, you know, it's, we're already on this search. If we don't find out, well, then we don't find out. We'll just go with it where we can go and see what it's a story in itself. Uh, I mean, I'm amazed that we did find what really, what's the truth there, uh, and, um, it's, it's, and that's and that's something that's very unusual because I didn't yeah. really expect to, but I was very much compelled to try to find out. And it's, by the way, the people we took on in Poland to try to find out were also in, irresistibly compelled. Of course, they, they. Yeah, I would. I, I don't know how you could be otherwise once you were drawn into sort of the circle of the story. Right. I, it must be quite an interesting experience as a as a filmmaker, documentarian, to to writer, you know, whatever journalist, to go into something like this with such a huge commitment, not knowing, you know, how it's going to play out. What what actually is the story? Like we have an idea, uh, we, we you know you can you sort of write a documentary, I suppose, to some degree. You you can't really storyboard it, that's for sure. Uh, and then no. and then you you go into it with all this commitment, and you know, I would imagine financial investment and time and passion, and then you go. <laughs> We, we don't know where we're actually going to land. What a, what a huge risk. It, it's huge and it's not huge because what I was saying is the actual search began, began to be very, very interesting. Mm. And I said to myself, you know, as, as a documentary, you know, I'm getting a story anyway. If I don't uh, get to right. the bottom of it, you know, it is going to be affecting Malta's life. And in, in, sure. in, there is something there. I don't know what the end is going to be, but... I was already on to it, you sure, know, and, sure. and, uh, and so, I mean, like along the way, you know, when we started to retrace 
and we were filming. You know, uh, we were tra- we tra- we were retracing people who lived in forests. We were you know hiding in the most impossible conditions. You know, Jews that were hiding in these forests, which is an integral part of this story, and in the most impossible impossible conditions. Where I bet you and I and others in a Polish winter, which is as fierce as any Canadian winter, without jackets, clothes, food, just sort of hiding in underground pits to somehow, and hugging each other to stay warm. I don't know how long you and I would survive. You know, and and another example, there was another person, a Toronto person, that uh, we were searching this story too. Uh, A fellow named Morris Sternberg was searching his story, and actually, I think, we came to a conclusion on his story, but he didn't he didn't accept it, and so therefore I didn't go to a certain point with mm. it in the film, and mm. I, I just stopped after a while. But right. Morris Sternberg, uh, his parents hid him in a pit in a barn for two years, a year, not two years, for a year, in a Polish farm with manure on top of it, and he, and he was between two and four years old. Now, you imagine having your two- or three-year-old kid in a yeah. barn in a pit with manure on top of it in the middle of a farm, freezing in the winter, yeah. and knowing that if you come out of it, you're going to die. It's, you really wonder. So, yeah, in, in essence, when I filmed these places, I said, well, here's a story in itself. If I don't get to the bottom of it, I'm getting, you know. And then we spoke to survivors, who people who live in this forest, uh, and, and, you know, of a thousand Jews who hid in this forest. Only forty survived, and we spoke to one of the forty. Yeah, no, actually, two of the forty. It's well, it's and a real. So it's like, got to. It's got to feel like a real privilege to be able to sort of shine the light into some of these people's lives and these stories, and and peel back right. the layers. And when you go to the forest and you see it, then you really it all comes alive, and and that in itself is the story. So I said to myself, well, if I'm not going to get to the bottom, you're at least going to get the searches. Like, right, incredible. Martin, I hate to do this, but uh, we're going to have to wrap up in a couple of minutes. But I do, I do want to definitely talk about something that really struck me. So, you know, I'm always fascinated by films, you know, especially documentaries that sort of suggest that this is what they're about, and yet they end up being about so much more, so much more nuanced and rich, and you know, uh, what was the word? I, uh, interconnected. You know, I mean, there's a complexity to your, to your film and to the story, and. I mean, this is about isolation and family and truth and the past and memories and love and we could <laughs> identity, right? And helping others reaching right. out. And I mean, it's just, it's crazy to me, all the, the layers uh, on what appears to be, you know, um, as I think the blurb on CBC's website ta- talks about a, an engrossing mystery, right? This is, you know, we, but, but it's so much more than that. And one of the things that really struck me, and it is absolutely palpable in your film, is this sense of um, family, this sense of finding my way back home. And and I've talked about that before with other documentarians over the years. I got a little bit of a shiver there, as I mentioned it to you, but it really comes through in, in Jürgen's story, I think, and how, you know, he said he just really wanted, I guess he really desperately wanted and needed to meet his real dad and, 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 and essentially hug him at one point, I think he says in the film, right? That, that yeah, That's yeah. what I really missed. And so I was just struck with the sense of, yeah, finding our way back home. We're all a little disconnected. We're all kind of out there <laughs> looking for a community, looking for friendships, looking for our parents. Whatever it is, it's a metaphor for something else, if that makes any sense at all. Yeah, well, Jürgen always, and, and it's interesting he says that Jürgen always felt somewhat out of place in his family. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, he didn't look like his father. Right. Uh, not even very much like his mother, but 
the real father, and we see the photos sure. and start to search, an amazing resemblance, yes. an astounding resemblance. Uh, and uh, and uh, he, he uh, is really looking for a sense of belonging. Uh, and, and in his emotional mind, he felt, rightly or wrongly, and it's not important if it's right or wrong, that somehow by finding that father and finding his life, he will find the emotional home that he sort of feels he never really had. And uh, it's and it's really striking what he does find. And could that really be his emotional home? Right. Uh, and and uh, But it's not important. Uh, what's really important is that that's the driving force in his life for many, many years. Otherwise, he wouldn't search for so many sure, years to find sure. him. And... and, and, and uh, you know, that's, that's, uh, we all sort of look for that place where we belong. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, for me, I mean, there's so many, so many things to talk about, so many sort of lessons coming out of a story like this. It's, it's interesting. It's entertaining. It's, it it really is an engrossing mystery story. I mean, it's absolutely, but I think there's, there's a lot more going on here than meets the eye. And I, I love this idea of, uh, inclusion over exclusion. I think for me, that's one of the bigger, the bigger messages of your film is that we, we all do need to, to either be embraced or to embrace, if that, if that makes sense, as a parent, as a friend, as a, as a teacher, as a, as a priest, <laughs> as a politician, well, I, I you know? That. I would buy that interpretation. Uh, I think, I think it's beautiful, and, and, and thank you for, for, and congratulations, and, and thanks for, thank you. thanks for an interesting, and, a, and a, as, as a, as I think somebody said, uh, one of the pieces I read has all the, quote, ingredients of a classic, close quote. Martin Himmel here with us today uh, talking about Secrets of Survival. It is going to be uh, world premiering on the Documentary Channel on Sunday, April 9th at 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, 10 Pacific. And it's going to uh, follow up is when, Martin? Uh, April 26th. I don't have the exact time, but April 26th. Yeah, so uh, check, check it out online. You can find it on CBC's uh, documentary site. And also check out Martin Himmel.com, martin-himmel.com online as well. Martin, thanks so much for your time. Direct from Tel Aviv, man. It's, it's, we, sounds like you were around the corner and I always still marvel at that. It's, uh, <laughs> it's, 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 it's been <laughs> well, a here wonderful, we are. wonderful conversation. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you very much. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.